Dear listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Quote and Quote with KK. Today we are discussing on the future of mobility. As you know, this sector is a huge contributor to the GDP and employment of any country. Therefore, any positive or negative development in the sector would affect the economy of the country. Various economists have theorized that the full impact of mobility on sustainable energy to an economy can be a saving ranging from 30 to 50 percent from the current cost. Just give you a quantum of savings. I had written a blog on the environmental sustainability of home delivery apps like Zomato and Swiggy at the time of Zomato's IPO. From their numbers that had come in their prospectus, assuming that they make 800 million food deliveries with an average of five kilometers radius, the total distance traversed by these two companies would be 4 billion kilometers in a year in India. This is like traveling between Earth and Neptune. And since most of these two wheelers who they call their delivery partners and ride on two wheelers which are carbon emitting, assuming the 4 billion kilometers that they travel in India, around 80 million liters of petrol for the bikes would be consumed and they would release around 180 86 million kilos of carbon in the environment, assuming that they are four-stroke engines. That's not a great environmental impact. You know, in the early part of this century, I was working with Saudi Aramco, world's largest crude oil producer, and contributing to around 70% of GDP of Saudi Arabia. The times were very bleak because the cost of a liter of petrol was cheaper than the price of a liter of packaged drinking water there. Now you can imagine what Saudi Aramco was going through and the whole economy of Saudi Arabia at that point in time in early 2000. And obviously we looked at various growth options in the energy sector for Saudi Aramco to punt on a long range plan. But with the Russia-Ukraine crisis and the uncertainty of energy supply lines, things are not the same in terms of energy security of any country. So governments all around the world are pushing policies and incentives for a sustainable mobility solution in their country. Even Saudi Aramco today would be rethinking its strategy to move into sustainable energy solutions for the world other than crude oil. Let's move to the consumer side of things today. Many consumers who are wanting to buy their car or scooters or any personal mobility have various options to select. The traditional petrol diesel option, the hybrids or fully electric vehicles. However, in the post-COVID scenario, the global automotive and mobility industry is not so clear. There have been chip shortages hampering manufacturing and assembly of vehicles, not just in India but globally. So the booking times have gone beyond a year in some of the models. On the other hand, traditional petrol diesel vehicles have been stockpiling as there have been a cutoff to electric or hybrid vehicles in some countries. Many new energy variants are emerging out of innovation. So no one is sure in which direction the mobility industry is going to be going. Let's look at a few developments in the last few months in India and globally. Recently, India discovered lithium and rare earth deposits that would boost the battery storage industry in India. On the other hand, Elon Musk and Tesla announced a $10 trillion investment to make the earth more sustainable. Coming back to Tesla, its credit rating is now above junk rating as it has turned profitable. On the other hand, the new Toyota CEO has said that it's not investing in electric vehicles and would rather develop other technologies 
that will be carbon neutral and wait for the direction to become clear where the world is. For the first time since Lehman crisis, the overall debt in the auto sector is increased to over 4 trillion and stockpiling of new cars waiting to be sold to an all-time high. Tied to all this is the cost of critical raw materials that have fallen by 20% and in some cases by 70% making the overall production cost of vehicles cheaper. The governments on the other hand are also incentivizing consumers to purchase less polluting and environmentally friendly vehicles. As a result, the prices of cars are falling post-COVID and yet the consumer demand for vehicles is not picking up. It seems in the US for the first time there is a slump in the sale of cars as consumers are looking not to purchase cars. On the India front, in spite of a buoyant consumer demand, we are hampered because of availability of chips and batteries and other raw materials which is leading to a huge bottleneck and lack of sales and delivery of cars in time. If we look at it globally, many players are either closing down their production lines or shutting down their plants. Some of them are also running low on cash and are likely to become bankrupt across the globe. This is a very paradoxical situation which can collapse the world economy into a depression. To decode the current situation, we have invited a strong thought leader, entrepreneur who is India's Elon Musk and was way ahead of times in envisioning the future of mobility even when Tesla had not even launched their first product and launched his first electric car called Reva in it. He was so ahead of time that when I was part of the NASCOM product conclave committee, we had invited him to present as a keynote speaker. His presentation 12 years back at the NASCOM product conclave looks like a cut and paste job by Tesla's last month's investor day presentation. Such a visionary he is from India and he has shaped the policy and the way forward for the future of mobility and electric vehicles in India. Dear listeners, I am glad to introduce my friend and an industry veteran, Chetan Maini. Let me briefly walk you through his profile, which reads, Chetan is the co-founder and chairman at Sun Mobility. He's an entrepreneur and technologist with over 25 years of experience in the mobility industry. Currently, he is the co-founder, vice chairman of Sun Mobility, which is a 50-50 joint venture between Windria Mobility 5.0 and Sun new energy system. The joint venture aims to be the leading provider of universal energy infrastructure and services to accelerate mass electric vehicle usage. And his lifelong vision has been to create products and solutions to deepen the adoption of clean and sustainable mobility. He's such a passionate person that he developed the Reva electric car in 1999 and has been knowledge globally as a pioneer in the electric vehicle space. Chetan has spent over two decades working with electric, hybrid and solar vehicles in India and US and holds over 30 plus global patents in energy management systems for electric vehicles and presented many technical and keynote papers at coveted platforms globally. His list of accolades runs into several lines which include the BBC Top Gear Man of the Year Award, the Innovation Award in Energy and Environment by the Economist in London, ET Auto Gabs Innovator of the Year Award, Frost and Sullivan India Startup Visionary Innovation Leadership Award, and was listed as one of the top 50 most influential people in India to bring about change by the Business Week magazine. The UO Thomas Alva Edison Award for Entrepreneurship and Innovation in 2002, 
Indra Super Achiever Award from the Indra Group of Institutions, the Monte Carlo Sustainability Award in 2005 for Renewable Electric Vehicles. Chetan has been named as the Entrepreneur of the Year at the IMA Managing India Awards 2010. He has served several industry bodies in India and abroad. Some of the prominent ones include National Mission on Electric Mobility from 2012 to present, Young Global Leader World Economic Forum from 2011 till date, Entrepreneur Organization from 2001 till date, World Economic Forum Global Agenda Council for Personal Mobility. He has served as chairman in 2012 and 2013. Chetan completed his master's degree in mechanical engineering at Stanford in 1993 after obtaining a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering at the University of Michigan in 1992. So Chetan, welcome to our podcast, Quote Unquote with KK. It's a really pleasure having you on our podcast show and reminiscing some of the things that we have heard from you from the past. And I'm sure we would like to get direction on how the world of mobility is going to move in future. I would love to start this by, you know, certain basics about what is mobility and how is it going to be transforming in the future? Thanks uh, for having me on board here. Pleasure to be here. And, you know, I mean, mobility is really broad, right? It's about movement of people or goods. It's cars, buses, ships, trucks, three-wheelers, scooters, bicycle, walking all over, right? But I think what's more relevant is around, you know, service transportation thing, which is on top of everyone's mind. And where the transformation there is going to be happening is around being electric, shared, connected, autonomous, and Barbary. These five are going to drive the next, you know, 10, 15 years of where transportation is going to go. And what does this mean? Uh, well, if as vehicles get more electric, they'll be 10% more efficient. As they get powered by renewable energy, they'll be 10% lower cost. As they get to shared, they'll be 20% cheaper. As they go to autonomous, they'll be another 20% cheaper. And as you connect them fully, where you have a shared network that is fully connected, you can get another 10% more efficiency. So in the next five, 10 years, we're going to try to see transportation is probably 30 to 50% cheaper, more convenient and green. It's about all these things coming together and it's about connecting the dots that's going to define where the... Excellent. I wanted to understand, you know, different people are putting different bets on how this mobility is going to be looking like in the future. There are several people who have talked on TEDx, there are several people who have written their blogs and then there are think tanks who have talked about different technologies and how the world is going to get shaped and then there are governments who are talking about policies so it's a very complex environment at this point in time and not to say that you know there are different technologies and streams of science that get integrated to finally bring a world-class product uh, to the consumers could you just share the level of complexity that is involved uh, to produce a product of this nature well it's you know starting with the customer right understanding what the customer requirements are understanding their for a result of it, what are the product requirements? What kind, what would you do at a product design point? What would be the appropriate technologies that have to be developed to meet that? Then getting into detailed engineering, prototyping, testing, validating certification, and finally manufacturing, right? So it's a fairly intense process. And a lot of these have to parallel to um, as you as you look at this happen here. It also, you know, is very multidisciplinary, right? You're starting with product and marketing and design. To, in today's vehicles, you need, you know, everyone from mechanical engineering to a software engineer to a chemical engineer, to a systems engineer. So the, the, the lines are going away where you actually need sort of engineering capability and competency that people understand, you know, mechatronics or electronic software and mechanics together and have an appreciation of all of this. So the, the shift is more complex. 
right, where it is very multi-domain coming in. And on top of that, you have a large regulatory framework coming in that also drives, be it from safety point of view or emissions point of view or on, on other aspects. So the combination of this is, you know, enabling, is making on one side product design more complex, but on the other side, with newer tools and the world being much flatter, enables you to probably innovate much faster, right? So things that were very challenging 10, 15 years ago are done much faster. It could take you probably three weeks to do, you could do it two days today. So in a way, it's become a more complex world, but it's also given you tools to enable you to move faster. You know, it reminds me of what we used to do in drug discovery in my previous avatar. You know, there are different branches of science and then the product development and human trials safety trials and then finally through the clinical it goes into marketing and then anywhere a billion dollars to create a blockbuster drug and you have only certain number of years of exclusivity on which you could charge much protection on your technology like the life sciences industry affords you so what are the risks of an entrepreneur and you've gone through that cycle to really dream about something and bring a product which is world beating in nature and finally you know make it available mass market. How do you see this for anybody who wants to take a fund into this sector? Well, I think the important part is going to be around technology, right? And having strong R&D because unless that core is not there, it's nothing going to work. So a lot of companies today, of course, globally have been doing it, but in India too, now investing in technology and R&D. And that's going to give them the right way. There was a point of time you could take A, B, C, and D and put it together and it would work. But I think today this is important. But there's another transformation also happening. In smaller form factors like scooters and anything else, you may right. see a sort of distributed manufacturing thought process like what happened cell phone industry. You know, 15 years ago, we had large companies who made everything and put it together. But right. today, company buys chip from A, screen from B, battery from C, understands the market, puts an OS on it and goes to market. I'm simplifying it, but you can see a sense of distributed manufacturing coming in on a lot of scooters and stuff where different components can come from different and you become system integrators and core technologists and software platforms that are very closely connected customers. And so you don't have to probably invest in entire value chain. You make, this may change. So along with this shift is also going to come new ways of manufacturing and distribution. Maybe more in the smaller form factors of it. Maybe more challenging in cars and trucks. But definitely in the fabulous space in markets like India, this could be fairly transformational. I want to talk about the distributed manufacturing and the traditional way cars were got manufactured by traditional car manufacturers where you are tier one, tier two, and then they took it on the assembly line and assembled the product, you know, then distributed it. And today, as I understand, you know, guys like Tesla are doing everything in-house, which they are setting up world-scale gigafactories. Isn't it something that is going away from the traditional distributed model or tiering model or the way the automotive industry operated? And do you think the disruption that you are seeing in the manufacturing process itself in the mobility industry? Um, yes, I think that, you know, if you think of an electric vehicle, over 50% of its bill of material is different, right? Because it's batteries, it's electronics, it's motors, it's, uh, you know, electric air conditioning, electric power steering, all of these new systems are coming in place. As a result of it, early companies that started didn't find strong supply chain and therefore decided to invest themselves. There were also opportunities to integrate technologies better because you could use a computer for multiple things, you could use a cooling system for multiple aspects of the vehicle, and therefore there was the system engineering enabled you bring in efficiencies. So in many ways, some companies went back 
you know, vertically integrating it. And the combination like a company like Tesla created was that they could actually get a cost benefit out of that. So eventually, when people went out and did it to tier one, they want to get a cost benefit. So at one point, you remember IPs and instrument panels, everything were done within company. And then these large companies broke out of Vistion or broke out of Delphi or, you know, 30, 40 years ago to create subsidiaries to enable them because they felt that their cost structures work. But that was when right. technology got a bit mature. So you're seeing in some cases, some people still fall, are falling in the distributed area where they become system integrators. And you're seeing some people saying, hey, there's so much value creation in our integration of scale and I have scale and therefore I'm going to do everything. And, you know, both work in depending on the volumes you're around and the technology innovation you're creating, right? That will make sense. So I don't think there's a right answer. I've seen both solutions work for different types of products and types of companies. I want to take up one paradoxical situation. A few yeah. years back, Tesla was almost bankrupt, didn't have cash flow. And just recently, last year, Nissan is bankrupt as no cash flow. And Tesla is now out of junk bond rating just recently by the global rating agencies. So it's far more cash flush versus the traditional big players getting into good money and good run because of the government doles and, and whatnot. How do you see this change in capital actually racing to innovators rather than the large traditional integrators of mobility products? So, you know, clearly the world in the future is going electric, right? And, and so therefore, companies that have differentiated solution products for that are going to get a more capital. You're seeing that recently even with companies in India that have separated out their businesses for EVs have been able to raise capital at valuations that are far more than their other companies as a whole. So the markets are treating the fact that this is the future and there is no capital there. I think this is going to continue for some time. At some point, it's also going to come down to where your margins are and how you'd be valued. And, you know, certain companies like Tesla have shown strong margins in terms of by having a value chain control. And that's going to probably help them in the future as we look at it. Certain other companies that are going this space because of the innovations are not at that level or scales aren't at that level, do not have that margins and are actually losing money on new products. So in a way, they're actually bleeding during this transition period, right? And so they have to find ways to cross this transition period where the scale is high enough, innovation is high enough, which would need internal restructuring and reorganization to enable them to look at it. But it is a very large transformation that you see in the industry, right? And if you were a new company starting from fresh, you don't have any of that baggage, right? You have you don't have much right. to lose in the early stages. But if a traditional company there's a lot of baggage and there's a lot more that you can lose to so how do you balance that so but the ones that will succeed are the ones who continue to create innovative products to the customer and provide good margins uh, to the to them by internally up to the company and you know markets are seeing that and that's where you will see the push going i wanted to understand you know one of the top leaders toyota had a change of leadership there's a new ceo also at the hem over there and the family CEO has moved on to the board. They changed their strategy. Um, they were leaders with a, with the prior model and continue to invest into innovation, into dual technology or technologies such as these or hydrogen. But they have clearly stated that they are not going to innovate into electric vehicles so soon. Although they did have one, I think one electric vehicle, which, which basically had some technical issues and recalled in the market. But after that, they have not really thought of going whole hog into this future of mobility and into electric vehicles. How do you see a world leader? Are they making some mistakes or are they waiting and watching or they do not want to go into this future where things are still very fuzzy? Well, 
well, you know, even five, six years ago, you heard a lot of the European manufacturers saying, well, electric takes time, right? And right. you've seen them completely change around. I think the speed of innovation has been quite high, that they have realized that it's it's imperative that they that they look at that front, right? But a very fundamental thing about fundamental level think about, right? Internal combustion engines twenty five percent efficient, right? On a driving cycle. And electric could be ninety percent. That gap is, you know, governed by how the physics and chemistry and that doesn't that doesn't change as far as this goes. So in general, electrics are going to be, you know, far more uh, efficient, right? They are going to be, of course, have better acceleration. They have of course lower noise, better lower emissions and performance is far superior to even uh, gasoline vehicles today. So that shift has happened, right? Does that mean that overnight everything goes? No, it's going to take a bit of time because, you know, it's cars, it's it's trucks, it's buses, it's, it's a whole lot of product portfolio, right? SUVs, everything. And so people will still continue in this transition space. But clearly the future, you know, is electric. And I think some companies may have programs internally that they may not be sharing externally, right? I'm not aware of those details right now, but, you know, I think that today it just makes sense. Maybe 20 years ago when I started too early, but today, you know, everything is coming together, be it oil prices, technology or cost structures, consumer behavior or government policy, right? And you've got a huge tailwind right now coming in where you can accelerate this. So it's yeah, up I'm to I'm going to talk about you being ahead of the time a little bit later when we talk about you and your lessons and all. But I want to shift from the global arena to India. What's happened? You know, you just said you were very much ahead of the time. But over the last 10 years, the growth in this whole sector is about uh, three times in terms of volume. So is India lagging behind or what are the reasons why it is not accelerated the way other markets like China, Europe and other you know, advanced markets have really accepted this and moved uh, much faster. What are the, your reasons to believe that India is still very slow in adoption here? So I think India is around, you know, we've lost around five because it's right. And so we're behind. The, the fortunate thing is, if you notice, the catch up has been fairly quick, right? Globally, right. If you look at the new companies and volume. So that's been good. It's not like you need 25 years to catch up, right? So this catch up right. can be much faster. In the last 12 months, you know, grown 3x of the country, across million vehicles first year. So if I think of it from a perspective of where we were a year ago to where we are today, there's been phenomenal growth. And that has been in spite of still, you know, three, four months of getting over COVID and around six months of supply chain challenge, right, with the chip shortages. So in spite of that, we have grown 3x plus, right? So I think we're on the right trajectory. What happens is also from when we invest to when the outcome is, it's not overnight, right? Because you start these investments. So you're seeing these companies now put in investments. So you're seeing a lot more products available. You're seeing more tier ones. You're seeing investments in infrastructure all come together. So we are now on that, you know, on the train, right? We we just, we were a little slower, but we're not catching up to speed. And I, I see that the next few years is going to be a game changer in the Indian industry across this front and yes we'll have to catch up on those five years that we lost behind but i think we could do that in three as we're the country going forward i'm glad there is positivity in you and you believe that we could catch up with the business i wanted to understand you know recent news about some rare earths being discovered in andhra pradesh and lithium being discovered in Kashmir. How does this lead to actually enhancing the domestic supply chain for some of the electrical components and batteries for Indian players and manufacturers? And 
What sort of lead time are we expecting for this whole thing to be indigenously produced? So these are very important finds and they're going to help us in the mid to long. Don't think they'll have an impact in the short term. So for batteries, you know, you need raw materials, which are first processed from the mine, make your anode and cathode, right? And you start with that in your cells and then packs and your electronics and the integration. So what today India's focusing on is to get the battery packs manufactured, electronics and stuff, which is around 40% value add, right? With the PLI schemes, you're moving to cell manufacture, we may still import certain materials to manufacture the raw material, but still make the cells. Right. The next is, can you go all the way to get the lithium and make even the raw materials of the anodes and cathodes and other things in-house in India? And that's where I see this coming. So once, and this is important when the business starts to go at scale, right? So in the next three to five years, as we start to get some scale, if such things are trying to come in, then, you know, from 27 onwards, if to, you know, we can start to see some of these health industry tremendously. It will take some time to structure mines. But it's not just mine, it's also the processing of the raw materials into a form that can be utilized, right? So there has to be reinvestments across the entire value chain. And once these mines are open, it's going to give the opportunity to do it, right? So you will now therefore see huge investments. And and I do see this helping us definitely in the mid to long. I wanted to flip this whole issue. Today, you know, India imports a lot of energy, especially crude, to fuel our mobility sector and other industries as well. Does that mean that uh, once this whole production of lithium and all these other rare earths, which are critical components, will go in, do you think we will have a very positive impact on our economy and a lot of savings on our fuel imports that we are currently spending and it is also very very uncertain how the prices go tomorrow there is a bomb pakistan will throw and then the whole crude war prices will go up because there's a war somewhere or something happens with russia or something happens with ukraine and suddenly the whole fuel uh, energy crisis emerges do you think this will be a dampening factor for our economy in terms of reliance on external sources for fueling our economy so what you talked about a very important point is how do we connect energy and mobility together as a bigger picture. So let's just fast forward to 2030, right? We have around 250 maybe million vehicles on our road today. Let's say we had 300 million, right? I'm talking about smaller growth rate on this front by 2030. And let's say for a second, they were all highly unlikely, but let's just put that hypothesis on. And if that would need approximately 300 gigawatt of renewable energy, right? India is targeting around 600 gigawatt by 2030, right? Right. So what does that mean in real estate space? That's 0.5 percent of Rajasthan covered by solar panels. Right. So if you did that, you could power the entire country's surface transportation on, on you know, clean energy. And so it not only addresses the emission piece, it also addresses our, uh, you know, energy security and our foreign outlet I mean, that we have today. And that's pretty impactful in the country, right? That would probably be $180 billion by then. So you can talk about a huge transformation. Government's push is really to see how these two pieces of energy security and climate change can be addressed without COP commitments being made and in terms commitment on the side. On the other piece of it, you know, renewable energy is under three rupees a unit today, which means it's significantly lower cost than where gasoline would, even if, it, if the gasoline went down to sub $10 a barrel. 
right? So you already have a comparative advantage with us. We have natural resources in the country. And so this would be a huge impact. In the short term, as the country continues to import some raw material, that amount would be insignificant compared to the $180 billion you say, because even if you import a raw material, you know, that vehicle runs for 10 years in the same raw material, right? In the case Correct. of oil, you're using it every year. So you, you have uh, you have a small amount which amortize at 10 years. And so that amount is very minuscule in terms of what you do. So from a country point of view, it is a, it's very it's huge the impact it made to economy um, and the entire uh, fact of foreign exchange. Plus the growth in employment and connectivity and other things that are ancillary to the mobility. Yeah, uh, I mean every job the country creates as well. another 10 direct and 100, 100 plus direct. So that of course grows on. And, you know, this is the largest percentage, 7% of our GDP and 49% of our manufacturing GDP, right? So it's a very large percentage of ours. And when you then, that's just the automotive part. Now you put the energy piece to it and you combine the two, then this could be, you know, almost 2x of that level in terms of the GDP spend to think about it, right? So it could really be very impactful from a country that's looking at transforming itself. So on the services, the transportation is about 14%, services and transportation of GDP. 40 percent yes. of our gdp is yeah. there so there also we will have some sort of impact to reduce cost and increase in volume of mobility or in terms of kilometers traveled or, or, or whatever reasons yeah i mean you know as i mentioned i said electrics are getting 10 percent more efficient use renewable you get them connected you have shared all Correct. these add up the point of which you will see transportation significantly cheaper in some areas 30 to 50 percent of the cost of what it is today right and greener so that shift that will come is you know will really help the economy because that means transportation of goods and services are a lot cheaper and that as you can imagine is a big boost to all the other sectors so now what happens the lithium and these rare earth become a new behemoth just like H2CL, HCL Indian oil or it's going to be into private sector what's the thought what what do you know about this here now you know so I think that what you're also seeing is two pieces so of course in the short to midterm there are new alliances right there are countries that have stronger materials. India has good alliances, like it's created alliances on the oil side. It needs to create alliances with the new energy side, right? It also needs to explore that within India. It needs to look at also recycling to ensure it has its own local piece attached to it, right? And, but there's another piece of it, that the technology is also changing to enable less use of this. So today, when, when batteries are getting 8% better every year or so, they're using actually 8% less raw material, right? In a way, if you think of it, because the same way uh, but you're getting 8% more energy, right? right. New, new raw materials are coming in. You've seen sodium ion batteries, new technologies coming in, everything, right. are going to use more and more easily available materials, right? You're seeing motors that everyone was new to mine, but for magnets are now moving magnetless designs or lower cost magnet systems. So if the pricing of one technology or one material goes up, it is in our human DNA to innovate, to get something else to work, right? So, right. you know, you, you saw that, you know, when oil prices went up, shale gas started, a host of others happened, Correct. right? So similarly, Correct. depending on the different price points, you're going to see new technologies emerge, right? So it is important that these are some new raw materials and we get that. But we also have an important understanding that there is a lot of innovation happening on newer materials. And that would bring an efficiency of the use of materials as well as new materials that are not necessarily as difficult to source.
So, you know, these all come into play together. Chetan, you have been with Ratan Tata and several other industrialists or industry bodies for mobility and transportation. And I remember you also talking about it on a one-on-one. I don't know where we were meeting together. And you talked about it, where the lacune with the previous uh, dispensation in Delhi was and how the current dispensation is far more positive in its outlook. Do you think in the corridors of New Delhi and they were very positive in doing this transition very quickly or are we still at that level where we still have to lobby to get these policy changes and then get uh, the impact on the ground? So, you know, one thing that's very refreshing is that the vision is very clear, right? So be it from what the Prime Minister has said, you know, the Finance Minister's announcements, it is it is an important piece of the country's policy. I think that vision is clear and most ministries you know, very working very hard. So you've got the fame policy come from DHI, Road and Transport has released a host of new policies, Energy Ministry has released new areas, low cost of tariff has come in, reduced road taxes. So there's a host of policy framework that has come in. And these are all the positives. I see a couple of gaps where we still need to work on it. There's sometimes a gap between the vision and the implementation, right? And at the ground level. And and that I think needs to need more because today people are in the implementation phase, right? And if there are gaps in the implementation then that causes a lot of heartache. So I think where the government has to work is close some of those gaps. And two, you know, we are a large nation with a lot of states and different states have different policies and they will continue to happen. But there could be some uniformity that comes in from the central to say this is important for the country. How do we create some more uniform policies around things that are critical? And that would help a lot of the states, you know, coming through to look at it. And probably sort of uniformity in certain areas, you know, subsidies are given for some aspects, not GST taxes slightly different if you get a vehicle with or without batteries. There are these anomalies that probably you have to fix as part of that. But we're heading in the right direction here. And that's what's seen uh, big investments. And that's what's seen a growth of 3x in the last year, right? So it's clearly policy, along with industry investments, along with consumer mindset change, all comes together. If only one was there, it won't drive. But you have all of these coming in, and that's you're able to kind of have a, a domino effect on this. So the policy in the next five years is very critical to continue the domino effect. So that becomes a lot. Help me understand now, Deco, me this we are looking at a five trillion dollar economy by 2030 and being number two or number three after us china whatever the sequence is but we don't still have a world beating ever batteries just like the three top three ones who are having that scale and the volume to be world beaters so how do we even enable those sort of players here apart from the taxation the incentives for manufacturing and other things that we need to enable for the industry we still don't have scale and obviously, growth of this sector is very important from the contribution to the economy. Where do you think the government is lacking even in enabling such industries to go at not just in scale in India, but for global market? And I'm not seeing that anything on the ground yet from a policy or from an incentive. Yeah, the PLI and all these are very short term oriented things, but the impact is still not seen that we have a top 10 also in the list of battery makers or the list of components. So how do we see this getting realized in spite of having a policy move in the right direction? Yeah, you know, I agree with you. We've again, like I said, not only us, I think you and America also lost the game a bit on that, right? Reaction was too slow on this front. But the government has now put in this, the new 
PLI scheme for 50 gigawatt. That would be, you know, an enabler, right? It's not a one thing gets all. But by creating a certain amount of demand, you're creating machines, factories, people who can work on them and understand customers like OEMs would now buy them for dedication, right? And you're creating an ecosystem, right? And they needed all of them to come. To. So we hopefully start to see our first plants in the country in the next, you know, 18 to 24 months rolling out. And I think in the next three to five years, we should build this up. And that's why I was talking to you that, you know, this catch up is new for us as a country, right? And once those first facilities come in, you start to build up the ecosystem, right? India today, you know, is number one on small car manufacturing, is number one on right. two wheelers globally. And I think that in the next five to seven years, we could keep that role on electric mobility in some form factors. And once the batteries are made in India, you have all the vehicles, which are very good at anyways. We're really good at software. We're really good at electronics. Also, you're seeing all this come together with products designed in India, right? And manufactured. And, and today there's a huge demand. You go to global markets, in many markets, you know, Indian products, especially in these spaces, are over 50%. So we've already built that brand globally, which in those markets will allow us, we don't have to do that again, which that means the new products come out. Right. I think the other opportunity we have is is go as systems, right? Not just the product, but with the infrastructure and with a full solution. So as we look at these solutions on the future mobility in India, we're able to replicate into cities globally. And the requirements of India and 50% of the world are different. And so we have an opportunity as a country to look at Southeast Asia and Africa and South America, where the requirements are very different, more India-like. And therefore, the solutions are likely to come from countries like you, right? And therefore, the leadership. Can... So, you know, it's a great opportunity for us to lose them. It's out there for us to take. Yeah. And it's only for us to lose if we don't put our energies and effort in. You know, I just wanted to add a few things. You see, one of my investing companies actually started an NGO or institute which measures movement of traffic across different cities based on their rides in terms of calculating for every city, P-car and non-P-car. What is the speed in that of the GPS and uh, across the systems? And they published a report and there's a new report along with the Ministry of Transport. The latest report will also be out. It's going to come for over 40 cities. What's an average movement of traffic in those cities during peak cars and during non-peak cars? And if I remember right, because we also use that data for our ambulance, for the golden hour purposes and positioning and movement of these ambulances for life-saving purposes as well, right? And we realize that the speed at which the traffic moves in many of these cities is very amenable to electric vehicles. And yet you realize it, you are ahead of the time. And yet the adoption of it, for whatever reasons, is not that fast yet or not that great for an electric and alternative mobility solution. Yet we are still behind and I wanted to understand why did your product also didn't move so fast in the market, the mobility factor? So I think the two things, I think you rightly said that the average speed is very low in India. It's one thing we're trying to beat London and I guess London is on the same level as <laughs> those speeds, right? But you know, it's not just the average speed. The average speed, of course, and the stop and go driving make it ideal for electric because of regenerative braking. So hands down, everyone gets it for cities. Uh, I see, I mean, you know, electrics make a lot of sense on the front, right? Um, but also these vehicles in the evening, you know, could go much faster when the roads clear up, right? And so that the capability of vehicles to higher speeds is as important in a purchase decision. It's our human nature, be it on running or horses, or anything that we want that performance, right? Although the speed requirements, average speed is much less. We don't buy vehicles on the average speed, but on what the on what we do on a straight road. At least from an overall person point, but from a probably from a shared mobility point, yes, speeds of 45, 50 are sufficient 
uh, in city centers to move around fine. And therefore, you're seeing a lot of these forms of transportation is more prevalent. And if you look at the growth rate, KK, in the last year, it's all been in this sector, right? It's always, it's all been in the right. slow speed rickshaws, three wheelers, two, you know, two wheelers, which relates to the point you just said that the average speeds are much lower. Why is it happening, right? So this 3x growth is clearly, you know, showing that level that it is growing and that will be the largest part of it, right? And, and that's 80% of India is two and three wheelers. So that's where we see the largest growth potential. Today, I want to now shift a little bit on, you know, Tesla and what they have been aspiring to do and get your comment and feedback as well. Last year, I believe Tesla announced that they want to come to India. And then we have various state governments telling, okay, come, come, come. And then Elon Musk says, look, I'm only wanting to sell the cars here. I don't want to manufacture them. And then the whole idea of Twitter wars started that, you know, we are not inviting Tesla to India. And, but if you see the all along, automakers in India, including Hyundai, when they entered in India and in, in fact negotiated their localization exports are then uh, set up their manufacturing in Tamil Nadu. It's very clear that India doesn't want export of vehicles. Yet Tesla wants to set up those giga factories in China and, you know, dominate the world or Asia out of one location. Is that got a sort of strategy going to work for Tesla? Well, it's hard to fully comment on that, but I think, you know, they're going to markets that have very strong policy and very strong market sizes, right? And so, you know, as a company in the early stages of its growth, but it's now gone to a very different level, but you're still going to look at those pieces, right? There are opportunities there everywhere. You have limited resources. Where would you prioritize it? So if the opportunity, the market is very big to prioritize it, the policies are very favorable to prioritize, right? For the products that Tesla make, the marketing is because the products right. are more the higher end front, right? And right. it recognizes that. And so if the market size is much smaller. The investments are pretty high to put up everything to justify the cost structures on this front, right? But I do believe that as they are moving to their lower cost products, they're more likely to look at markets like India where it makes more sense. Considering they're a bit more vertically integrated company, their investments are much higher than typical companies, right? Because they're also looking at motors and batteries and everything they make here. And that increase the investment size on the front. And even their vehicles, you know, have different manufacturing processes, very large castings and stuff, for, uh, which are very unique and they need to be, they only run efficiently at very high volume, right? And so it may not. But it doesn't rule out what other companies say is, hey, start with a SKD or, you know, or a CKD right and understand the mark build it up and as the volumes grow then do Correct. the entire thing but i can't comment on their strategy on the front they seem to be selling every vehicle they're making and are growing so you know they got, they're getting it right what they're doing right. you said they're getting things right and i want to understand what is tesla really getting it right what do you think is their secret sauce and what lessons have you learned from tesla being a first mover having a first mover in india with your vehicles with your experience in indian market so i think uh, you know they start from a clean slate so they had a chance of a new approach, right? They developed core technologies in-house. Motors, electronics, batteries include including the manufacturing, right? And they also innovated in areas around simple things which people then look at. Like people said, oh, you know, how much can you innovate in the harness? 
well, you know, they've changed their architectures and made those 30% lighter and lower cost, right? Or how much can you change in a, on a making how a body of a vehicle is made? But when you come clean slate and you say, oh, I don't have the engine, I don't have all the stuff, you start to even create new manufacturing processes because you're able to look at things differently. So their innovation has also been looked at this pieces. And I think the last bit, which is quite you know, interesting, is that typically in, in, you know, things of what's called the body in white, for example, which is the main uh, body, which yeah. is a monocoque structure everything sits on, someone would invest and they'd use that for eight, 10 years, right? They do you kind of once a week invest. It's interesting in, in a product and models, just the rare portion of it, they actually every year changed. The, the design was the same, it changed the costing to low cost, making more efficient, produced 700 parts. So they're innovating at a space of every year, right? So the, the key is how do you, you know, how do you outdo yourself, right? Your competition is yourself, right? And I think that's something we've all, I've always strongly believed and always told my R&D. I said, listen, it's not about someone else you know, innovating you out. That's too late. You have to make yourself obsolete. If you make yourself obsolete, that's when you grow. So if you have packs and stuff, that's great, but that's only relevant until it's as competitive. And if you keep your benchmark uh, with others, it's it won't allow you to innovate. Keeping your benchmarks internally to say, how do I get that better? Is, I think, a much better way when you're in leadership. A couple of other things, I think, they, when I look at our learnings and stuff, I think India is, you know, it was more the dynamics of the industry, right? I'm talking 20 years ago when, you know, even 15 years ago, people weren't still putting EV products in there. Investments were much more challenging than it is today. And I think, you know, they were in the right time, the right place, right? The governments gave huge amounts of incentives, close to a billion dollars of, of, you know, loans. And, you know, we see it at similar levels. And when you capitalize the company at early stages with government support and the local ecosystem, uh, it really allows you to do a lot of, and I think that that ecosystem is building up in India, but not at that scale as is in some of these markets. And, and I think we have great ideas, we have all of that stuff, but we also need capital at scale. And I must say things have improved in the last few years in India, but it was very challenging for me. But I would love to commend the presentation that you gave at NASCOM as a keynote speaker and the ideas that you presented us. Uh, Tesla's Investor Day presentation in March, a cut place job from your presentation. So I would love to say that and commend on your vision and being a visionary about what you thought 10 years back is now what Tesla is thinking of implementing at scale. So I would really commend that you had that vision and you thought about it. But that's a different story about, you know, where we, what the challenges you faced as an entrepreneur in India, as a Elon Musk, an entrepreneur with some scale and vision somewhere else. But it looks like a copycat from your presentation. Well, I think we, a lot of us recognize that. Sure. It's great to see that this coming, a lot of this coming to reality and a lot of it being added to a roadmap and a lot more people today believe in it, uh, it was probably harder to recognize some of those things 10 years ago. But uh, I think a lot of them is becoming a reality, has become a reality. And a lot of it, there is a roadmap for it to become reality. And so people can see that happen. Okay, then I want to focus on, on you as an individual and your beliefs, your aspirations. You started way ahead of the others. What was your motivation to get into something and you have been visionary to prove it right? Maybe 10 years later, which reflects very much in a global giant like Tesla talking about it in their investor day. But what really motivated you to start this journey? Well, you know, at university, I, I had the opportunity of being a part of a solar car, solar car team raced across the U.S., and then Australia. And the fact that you could cross continent on pure sun energy without a drop of oil was like a wow moment for me. This was 1990 when oil was less than $20 a barrel and no one cared about climate change. 
But for me, I think that was my turning point to say, this is what I wanted. My summer trips to India only reinforced it because that's when the Indian economy was opening up. Everyone's getting, you know, the cities are getting very congested. And and you said that there has to be a solution around this. We can't, we can't grow sustainable. And Reva was about creating, you know, an affordable form of transportation that, you know, take two adults and two children, which I saw as a small, the small family in India at a price of what they would pay for their scooter or cheaper than their scooter. And if the shift happened, then that would allow people to go in a sustainable way. It was always always about, you know, creating affordable cities. I think you can use technology and create highest performance vehicles and it's fun to do and I've also loved to do that, racing and other things. But if you can use technology to make a difference in people's lives, and in fact, that to me was much larger. So it was around that that the entire, you know, journey started and in the late 90s and, uh, you know, launched the product in 2001. And this is almost 10 years ahead of Tesla. Um, yes, it was. Tesla was, uh, you know, in 2007 or so that they launched their first product. What, what led you to exit out? Why did you give up? I mean, you could have always partnered with Mahindra's and no, I know Anand very well. I am so working on on one of their ventures, and, and he's a very open and magnanimous person. He he loves the entrepreneurs like you. Why did you fully exit out to him? You know, I think, was he not accommodative, uh, you know, or was he not appreciative of your product or ideas, or what was it? Well, I have a great relationship, company, right? No second thoughts of what we did at that point. I had built this out, and you know, after five years of running it within the network, we got management in place, was integrated well, and I was thinking, what next? To me, uh, it was about creating something that could be far bigger and global and could be far more impact and sustainable. And when I came about with the idea, of, which is today's sun mobility around battery swapping, you know, that's 80% of India that could back, you know, and going back right. 40% of our trucks and transportation. To me, that was much bigger. And for that, I needed to create an open solution that everyone could use. Trying to create an Android of sorts on this front. Uh, and that would need me to be open with all players. And so I felt that the right thing to do is to step down on that share that allows me to work with everyone, right? Including Mahindra right. as well. So this platform then becomes uh, here. And it would have been difficult to do it if I still wore a hat where I was, you know, part of the, the EV business side of it. You know, I'm happy where it's going today. And the, 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 both, of my, the, both the business are growing well in the EV space of it. I'm so happy for them. But it was the right decision for things. This is aligned me to look at an impact that's much larger. Personal mobility had impact X. I think where what I'm doing today could have impact is 100x. And so, you know, when I see a rickshaw driver who's able to earn 20% more, go home and be more relaxed, spend time with their kids, and you're you're making impact in their lives, and you're still creating businesses that are profitable. To me, that's really the future where it is going to be. Uh, and uh, and how do we innovate further that piece of affordability that I talked about, right? Make electric vehicles affordable mass. So where are you on the journey now? I know the aim is like Intel inside in every computer. It's sun mobility inside in every battery or any EV product moving uh, across the surface of Earth. Where are you on the journey? Well, you know, the piece when I looked at exiting out, we talked out, you know, was there's three challenges that existed everywhere. Why these weren't taking off, right? It was high cost, it was people's emotional challenge around range anxiety or technology and a long range of time. And I said, if you fundamentally solve these three problems with a, a business model and a technology, you could really have EVs at scale, right? And by separating right. batteries from vehicles, you can get the cost of electric vehicles to be cheaper than IC for them. And if you can swap them in a minute, uh, you address the range anxiety and reproduce. So today you can get an electric vehicle price similar and cost of energy is cheap. Now that would make someone go alive. The second piece was that how do you create something 
that is ubiquitous. So we have one solution, one battery for a scooter, for a rickshaw, three for an auto, four for a small four-wheeler, which caters to 80% of India and probably most of the developing country. So if one solution can fit every format, you bring in a sense of utilization, right, for this front. So that was important for the tech. The second is that I've always believed it's about partnership of the ecosystem. So on one side, we have over 10 OEMs, over 30 products integrated on our platform. On the other side, we have 40 fleet providers who are on our system. And on the third side, we've got, you know, India, Indian oil company, energy companies, and others for the energy pieces. So this allows us to enable a city to go there because what you've done is put the pieces together and giving customers a value proposition, right? Where we are today is we have the lower 450 stations, right? We are in 18 cities and close to around 20,000 vehicles on our platform. We've grown a fair bit, you know, over from a year ago where we probably had only 100 stations. So there's a good growth for the company. In a city like NCR, we're at 350 stations. So there's a station at every two and a half kilometers, right? So the idea is to make it even easier to get uh, electric swap battery than it would be um, to even fill up gas, right? And at that point, you change the perception of how people look at it and giving them a value profit. And what we're seeing is huge interest globally for piloting in, with Shell in Philippines, right? Piloting in other countries. And, and that's where I feel that it's an India product and solution going global markets where we can create a large future. So now it's going to be sun mobility pins on the Google map all over the world? Well, let's start with India and hopefully beyond. <laughs> One step at a time. Ketan, you know, it's always intrigued me. A person of your vision, caliber, you've given a lot of talk and you've, I think you've motivated a generation of entrepreneurs who are now following you and getting mentored by you in the mobility space in India. I can tell you that. And why haven't you thought of writing a book or something? You know, I'm, I'm too busy still having fun doing technology and building businesses, right? So I'm sure at some point when I slow down, I would look at maybe sharing some of those insights. There's a lot of depth of knowledge that you have, I think it would be very useful for the ecosystem, I would say. I, I don't want be... you to retire or slow down, man. No, no, I think there You're the bishop, You are the Bishop just... Pitama of the mobility industry here. No, no, I'm just very, I, I think it's so exciting, the space to like, right. you know, having been in 20 years, KK, I've never seen for the first time everything come together, right? That's today, right? And so you're, you, you, you've been thinking of this for 20 years and finally it's happened. So now when you're in the midst of it, it's actually how could you contribute to make it happen, right? And uh, and building that out. And that's where all my energies are going. But, you know, whenever I get an opportunity, I'm happy to share with, you know, colleagues and uh, others around whatever small learnings that I've had around. But before I let you go, I want it from your perspective itself. What's the key messages you like to give to our own entrepreneurial ecosystem from what you have learned and being a visionary of what you have shared with us also at our NASCOM platform from your, what you have learned in life and what you have done and achieved? So uh, I think the first piece is about... I think this the, will be the preface of the book itself. <laughs> I think the first piece to me is all about a lot about passion. Unless you truly believe in something, because things will go wrong. And unless you have a deep passion about that and believe, it's not going to make you go through. If it's purely for money or purely for something else, it won't work. The cause has to be bigger. And that will drive the times of a challenge, right? One's attitude um, can solve problems. When I started, no one had built an electric car before. And I you know, didn't say I need everyone experience. It's about going to zero principles, not thinking your ego, yeah, I know all of this. No, but working at zero principles with the right teams to get that in place 
can really enable um, you to solve issues, right? Think out of the box. It becomes, it's not a once in time thing, it's a daily, right? And I think when you're early in an industry where you didn't have that ecosystem, you tend to have a lot more issues that others haven't solved. The result of that solving become a problem, it become a problem solver's part of the right? And therefore, you're always seeing on that front. And building that capability is very important. I think surrounding yourselves with teams to augment this. And beyond that, also with companies. It's a new space today of collaboration. It's not one does everything, but how do you work with others to create the new win-win of future? I think this is going to be so important for generations coming today. You know, I recall doing things like this even 15 years ago, but it's even more relevant. Right. And then it's about, you know, working to create an ecosystem. If you think of industries which had ecosystems, if there was only one company or one product in one network, right? You think of the telephone industry. What if there's only one company in one? Where would the cost structure come down? So innovation happens, awareness happens in the ecosystem. So what we're seeing today come out in industry is a shift in the ecosystem, right? So the ecosystem comes first. You don't compete. You will at one point compete with each other. But the big thing, the market is so big, you're actually building out. And once that is, the best people will. So if you think of it from a bigger picture that the pie is getting bigger every year, every day, and think of it from that, the industry will grow and everyone in the industry will grow with that. I think that's where we have in front of us. Chetan, I'm afraid we have come uh, run out of time, but, you know, as usual, you know, it's always a very intense, passionate, high energy, high impact discussion with you, as always, whether it's face to face or virtually on this podcast today. Sincerely, thank you for sharing your point of view on the way the world is moving on, uh, on mobility and in a very brief manner, like you always been presenting yourself, a very, very insightful discussion that you have had with us. Thank you very much for sharing these nuggets of wisdom, your personal experience and your depth of industry for our listeners. And I also thank your staff and team to make it possible to come on this podcast and talk about it very openly and candidly as well. So there you go, listeners, the future of mobility from an expert and a visionary. And you know where the world is going to move ahead. You also know what vehicle and on what technology you can invest when you buy your next vehicle. Appreciate for making it possible on our podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for me on. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Nathan, Thanks, so Nathan. really a